Welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. We are your hosts, Bill Taub and Dave Tilly. Hi, this is Phil Taub, and along with my colleague here, David Tilly, we're very happy to welcome you to our latest podcast. And joining us today is uh, retired Army uh, Colonel Hunt Kerrigan. Uh, Hunt is somebody I've gotten to know very well. Uh, great man, great family. And uh, really, Hunt, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's a great honor and privilege to be here. Thank you, Phil. For all you do for our warriors, uh, it's been a great uh, honor to be your friend and see really the impact you and your wife has had uh, on so many individuals, Navy and Army, in fact, all the services. And also, David, this is our first time getting to know each other, so I thank you for your service, and I look forward to this podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Hondo. We, we greatly appreciate you being on, on our podcast and on this uh, edition, and uh Thank you for your long, distinguished service, uh, 32 years in, in the U.S. Army and, and retiring at the rank of colonel, which is impressive. And just uh, I wanted to ask, what what uh, got you started in, in uh, joining the service? Well, you know, someone once said to me that military is really a family uh, affair, and it really is, because my father was... Um, a very wealthy young man living on Long Island uh, in the 30s. And uh, he uh, ran away from, from home, joined the Marine Corps at 17, lied about his age, and uh, he served at the latter end of World War II. And then he uh, served in Korea. He got a battlefield commission or earned a battlefield commission, uh, six Purple Hearts and a Silver Star. Um, so he taught me the importance of serving God, freedom, and country. So I grew up uh, knowing about service and feeling compelled to serve. However, what was interesting was my dad and I didn't get along very well when I was growing up. And, and when I was, you know, my early teenager years, I didn't really want to join the military. I didn't want to be kind of like my dad. Uh, but as I got older, I did. And I joined the military and I thought I was going to do a two-year tour duty in Germany. And I ended up 32 years of military. That's incredible. That's incredible. And your your wife is currently serving. Yes. I mean, we're really a military family. Uh, my, my wife's a civil engineer in the Maryland Air National Guard. In fact, what's really interesting is that she was going through her um, officer training school uh, in the Air National Guard uh, uh, September the, in September and, uh, 2001. And uh, she graduated just a couple of days after September the 11th. And my wife and I were married on the 30th, September 01, at the Fort Myer um, Military Chapel. And, uh, and then she, as a brand new second lieutenant, within about six to eight months, she deployed to the Middle East as a civil engineer. And so I'd been in the Army uh, for years. I'd never really deployed. I'd been to Germany. I'd been all over the world, but never deployed. And here was my second lieutenant, Air National Guard wife, deploying before me. Uh, but I was so proud of her. And, uh, you know, it had a lasting impact on her and me. And then as, a, as I'll talk about a little later, she's going to be deploying again. So except the difference is now we have two little boys. Yeah, That's really, really awesome. Sorry, Dave. And I've, I'm fortunate enough 
David to have met Stephanie. She really, she's, she's an incredible uh, person. And uh, you know, this really is a great family here. Uh, Hunt, I, I want to go back a little bit. So your, your dad is a, is a decorated uh, Marine, right? Fort, yes. as you said, Fort in World War II and, and then in Korea. And, uh, and so you ended up in the army, right? And we see a lot of sons following, you know, their dads into the same branch that they were in. What, what, what was going through your mind? How did you end up in the army as opposed to the, the men's section of the Navy, you know? Yeah, well, that, you know, that's a great question because at the time uh, when I was thinking, I, I went to Norwich University in Vermont, which is two years of war, which I graduated high school in Scotland, I went to high school in Scotland. And then I lived in Montreal for a year and I ended up going to Norwich University for two years. Um, but I basically ran out of money. Norwich is a military school. I ran out of money. The military was not paying it, paying for it. So I went enlisted for two years. And at the time, I had a girlfriend living in Denmark. And I knew if I joined the army, I could get stationed to Germany. So I'd be closer to her. If I joined the Marine Corps, I wouldn't have been closer to her. And if I joined the Marine Corps, there was no two-year college enlistment. There was no college fund in the Marine Corps for a two-year enlistment. So I kind of decided to go in the Army. My father was thrilled that I wanted to join the military. And so I remember um, signing up for the Army. I wanted to be a cavalry scout, a 19 Delta, which I was on the old East Driven Border patrolling it. And that was my first taste in the Army. And frankly, Phil, I thought it'd be two years in the Army, and that was it because I spent a lot of time in the field. It was a tough tour of duty. We were in Germany. We were patrolling the old East Driven Border. We were in the field a lot. We were cold, hungry, tired. And, um, and then I left Germany and ran into a recruiter for the National Guard. And uh, I ended up signing up with the Guard and, and serving as an air traffic controller, so I had no break in service. And I'm really glad I did because I ran into so many individuals who did two or three years in military and then they, they regret having gotten out. So it's been great. And so tell us some more, Hunt. So, uh, so you're on your journey now. Now you're in the National Guard. And uh, I mean, you end up having a, a quite a long career here, 32 years in the sure, Army. Give, sure. us, give us a little bit more of a sense of, uh, of what you did in your service. Sure. OK, so I uh, served as an air traffic controller with the Vermont Guard for about two years and I graduated Norwich. Now, I couldn't afford to pay for Norwich as a resident. So I was, I was kind of, in a sense, part time at Norwich. And then I got my commission through officer candidate school at Fort Benning. So I was commissioned, and that was a, a tough way of getting a commission. I was commissioned in 1988 and then, then joined the reserves as an intel officer and as a platoon leader. And I did some time in the reserves, really enjoyed it. In fact, I enjoyed it more than just about anything else I was doing in the civilian world. I had a top secret clearance. I was working for a company called Booz Allen Hamilton on, on a contract for, for DOD. Um, I enjoyed it, but I, I really kind of wanted to go back full time. And I had an opportunity, I was working as, as an aide to a general and uh, after I was a platoon leader and we were at a, a, a training site at Fort Leavenworth and the adjutant general, the top general of the National Guard, the Maryland National Guard was at an event. And I wanted to get to him to ask him for a full-time job with the National Guard and counter narcotics in the port of Baltimore. But I had no way of kind of getting through to his through his entourage, it's kind of hard to walk up to a general. 
So I noticed he went into the bathroom. So I followed him into the bathroom, <laughs> stood next to um, a sink. I was just washing my hands until he <laughs> stood next to me. He was washing his hands. I said, sir, um, my name is Second Lieutenant Kerrigan, and I'm looking for a full-time job in the Maryland National Guard in uh, counter-narcotics. And he goes, son, I don't have anything counter-narcotics, but I'm looking for a PAL. And I said, sir, what's a PAL? And he goes, public affairs officer. So he flipped out his card of his executive officer who had, he handed to me and I called him. And then within about three or four weeks, I was in the Maryland Guard doing this thing called public affairs um, as a GS-12. And I loved it. I, I got to travel the world from Panama to Estonia to the Sinai. Wherever we had troops in the Maryland Guard, I got to go there and work with the media and tell the great success story in the Maryland National Guard. I kind of fell into that job. I really enjoyed it because I had such a passion and have such a passion for those men and women who sacrifice so much and serve. And uh, it was great. I mean, as I said, we were in the Sinai, uh, Panama. I got to go to Estonia twice uh, and highlight our relationship with the Estonian Defense Force. So that was really a, a really great experience for me. I, I love, sorry, Dave, I love the initiative that uh, you went into the bathroom. I once met Michael Jackson in the bathroom, but that's a story for another day. This is not <laughs> right, David. Well, I, I, I actually think that General Sullivan, I mean, when you're a lieutenant, you just do crazy stuff. And I realized I could not, you know, general officers have got an entourage around them, like angry colonels and, and aides and all that. You just don't try to talk to a general. So I knew my only chance would be if he slipped into the bathroom, I saw him. So I just went into the bathroom and was just washing my hands over and over again until he was right next to me washing his hands. And that's and that's how I ended up meeting him and getting getting the. Uh, the, job the PAO position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that is, and I haven't shared that with many people, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> now, now, hopefully, you'll be sharing it with a lot of people on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's just taking the initiative, that's all. And, and then, you know, it, it worked out. It was a great blessing. It really, did, really was. Because I ended up serving as a public affairs officer for many years. I flew into Tuzla, Bosnia. And I was the only guy other than uh, the crew of a, a C-130. We flew and we had full armor on, helmet, flak vest. I was taking photos and they wanted me there. And by the time I got back, I had got the photos to the um, local newspapers in Maryland, in Southern Maryland, and their photos were on the front page. And the pilot came to me afterwards and said, you know, you made me a hero in my son's eyes. And I really appreciated that. Boy, I tell you, I loved being a public affairs officer because I had the hardcore army experience. I was cold, wet, and tired driving a Bradley in Germany. I knew what that was like. And then I ended up staying in public affairs. And when I got to go to Iraq, I served as the chief of media operations at Camp Victory. So you flash forward in 2004. And I got to work with Gerardo Rivera, uh, Brian Williams, uh, Peter Jennings, Christian Amalpour. Um, and uh, it, it was just just an amazing experience being over in Iraq, telling our great story, our success, or what we were doing over there. And uh, it was just a, just a really good experience. So I've been doing that for for many years in the army. That, that's that's incredible. The um, <laughs> just uh, we we had just 
met each other uh, on this podcast hunt. And uh, that's one thing, though, that we share in common. I, I was active duty Army and then was uh, in the Guard, and I was PAO for uh, the New Hampshire Guard. Oh, but, excellent. Uh, yeah, under uh, under now Colonel uh, Heilshorn. Yeah. But, uh, but I think you, you had a lot more interesting... Uh, amazing opportunities but uh to that point what what were some of your most uh you know memorable experiences through your 32 years of military service that sounded right there like uh quite a few very memorable experiences but some of your most i guess positive uh memorable experiences and some of your toughest ones um, I think some of my most memorable experiences, how about if I go to the toughest ones first? My, my first two years in the Army, you know, I was in Germany. I was 23 years old. All my other friends at college were partying, and here I was driving a, a Bradley in Germany. We are in the field a lot. Um, it was cold and wet. We were exhausted. We were patrolling the East German border. It was, you know, I was with the 3rd Infantry Division. It was a hardcore unit. Um, so it gave me my first experience of what it was like in the army, and uh, it was very hard. And, and most people get out, but I ended up meeting a, a National Guard recruiter, and thankfully, David, I ended up joining the guard. And uh, by then, by doing that, I had no break in service, which was fantastic. So I spent about five years enlisted, and then I, I was commissioned, as I mentioned, through OCS. And so when I was a lieutenant, I knew what it was like being a young. Uh, a specialist. I knew this, the trouble my, my soldiers get into. So that five years of enlisted experience uh, gave me really good insights and a heart and compassion for soldiers and their families. Like my father, he had been enlisted, in, but he got a battlefield commission in Korea on the battlefield. So it's a little different. But uh, the, the experiences I got um, uh, being enlisted and then getting commissioned, let me just fast Fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, when I was a brigade commander, so in 2013 timeframe, I was a brigade commander. On my coin, you know, in the military, we present coins. And I served in the Alaska National Guard. I had on my coin, I had integrity, wisdom, and compassion. And I think those are the three absolute building blocks of character. And as you know, the military is all about character, doing the right thing, and being put in very difficult situations, particularly when you're a leader. Situations are not necessarily always black and white. But on, on my coin, I, I present them to young soldiers and talk to them about the importance of integrity, of everything that you do has got to be built on integrity, that you do the right thing, whether people are seeing or looking at you or not. And I talk about wisdom as making good decisions and having a good battle buddy, someone you can bounce ideas off. And then finally, compassion is really caring for soldiers and caring for their families. And so, you know, when you look back in your time in the military, it, it um, you can remember the good times and the good times, just the people you serve with. I know that uh, Phil hears this all the time, particularly with the SEALs. You know, it's such a sense of camaraderie. It's a sense of esprit de corps, a sense of mission. Um, and I know that you know that also, Dave. And uh, but you know, the hard times were just, I think, physically exhausting. Uh, it was tough. Uh, you know, it was tough in a, uh, Iraq, and I had an opportunity to serve as the senior national guard advisor in Afghanistan. 
And I was working with, with, uh, with the National Guard there and the general officers back in the States. That was a great tour of duty. So, um, you know, good times and tough times, but it was just, you know, such an honor to serve. And I, and I like so many others, I miss it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can tell you one other story that was really interesting. I remember when I was in Iraq, I was serving as a chief media operation, so I escorted a lot of media around, and I worked, as I mentioned, with some just amazing media. Like Peter Jennings was fantastic. He and I bonded really well because he was Canadian. My mom's Canadian, so he and I hit it off. And in Iraq at that time, a lot of the media were embedded, so we would get the media out on patrols. And I was there for the first Iraqi election, and there was a lot going on. I mean, the bad guys were hitting us left and right, that they wanted to disrupt the election, which never, that didn't happen. The election was a success. But I remember of all the people I worked with, I just remember working with Oliver North. And um, I remember I went into a, a building to go meet him. One of the jobs I was escorting media, and I was a major at the time. And I saw Oliver North, and I was so surprised because I remember Oliver North on the front of Time magazine, you know, with his, his hand up. During the uh, during those trials, if I remember the conference, sure. he was in uniform, lieutenant colonel. I'll never forget that. I think it was 1986 or seven, and he just looked so amazing, so sharp. And then, so I had never met him in person, so I had to go pick him up at the uh, at the certain quarters. I walked in and I saw him. He just he looked very old, very tired. But boy, when we started talking, he was just so animated, so excited to be there. So I'd say meeting Oliver North was one of the, the highlights of my military experiences, just seeing him, seeing the way he loves uh, Marines and soldiers. And, um, and you know, we, we actually made, we became very good friends. I got to work with Martha Radich. She was just absolutely amazing. Um, and I got to meet, work with some high maintenance reporters. Like Krishna Alpore was extremely high maintenance. Really? Yeah, she was very high maintenance. She was just full of ego. It was just so amazing how I worked with some reporters who were just really wanted to find a good story and 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 really highlight. But there's some reporters just looking for negative things, particularly with President Bush in office. They were just looking things to somehow tear him down. But overall, um, it was uh, it was a good experience. And then within a year after that, I ended up in um, during Katrina. I ended up in Mississippi at the Combat Readiness Center, Katrina just hit and they needed public affairs officers. So I volunteered and we had like four or 500 media running around Mississippi. And the public affairs officer there, Tim Powell's a good friend, he called me and went down and we spent time with each other. And I remember working with a lot of the same soldiers, the same aviators in Iraq were now flying missions in their state in Mississippi, rescuing uh, uh, members of the public in Mississippi bringing in supplies to them. So for me, it was so surreal that here I was a year earlier in Iraq working with Mississippi National Guard aviation units. A year later, I'm in their state as a public affairs officer. We had every media in the world. We had BBC World there. We had Al Jazeera there. We had all the local stations there. It was amazing. We had Fox News there. So for me, serving as a public affairs officer in Iraq, telling the great success story of what we did and what we do, and then going to um, Mississippi and then serving there, 
a year later, uh, seeing a lot of the same people was just really great. And it also highlights the mission of the Guard, the National Guard. We do our federal mission. As you know, David, is overseas, whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan. But we also have our state missions, and that was a really good experience. That's incredible. That is a, that's amazing. Now, so now that you've uh, retired from the service, you're still very, very uh, active in veteran causes. Sure. Um, would you be able to willing to talk a little bit about sure, some of, of the uh, yeah. the different efforts that you're working on now? Well, what I absolutely give it, and, and thank you for the opportunity. What I also want to highlight really is the transition serving leading up to retirement and then after oh thank you because because what i really feel like you know as when i was enlisted i was a 19 delta cavalry scout and the scouts go up first and report back to the leader of commander what's going on with the battlefield well i feel like a scout now having been retired now for five years and whenever i i go on webinars and talk i always i always take a few minutes and give advice and insight. So let me pass on some of those insights to your listeners who are either currently serving um, or who are in the retirement process. So the advice I was given a long time ago was stay in the service as long as you can. I remember I was giving that advice in Alaska uh, when I was there on my first tour as a public affairs officer. And uh, this, this uh, gentleman said, look, stay in as long as you can. Now, I never thought I'd seen people. 32 years when I ended up doing that. I'm going to tell you a story. So this morning, I was out, and when I finished the gym, I was out picking up actually some flowers for my wife and some surprises for my boys. And as I was leaving the supermarket, there was a gentleman there who looked almost homeless. His hair was all messed up. He had a long beard. His clothes were somewhat raggedy, but he had one of these army fleece hats on. I think, David, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like a, a green fleece hat that you wear in the field all the time, I'm sure. Yep. You know what I'm talking about also. Anyway, as I walked by him, I was wearing a black jacket. And as I walked by him, I, I he saw I was wearing a 10th Mountain Division shirt, T-shirt on. And he saw that I, I always wear like small airborne wings on my jacket as a, a conversation started with people. He goes, hey, I, I like your T-shirt. Anyway, we started talking, and I said to him, where did you go to basic training? I don't typically go, what service did you serve? And like, where did you go to basic training? He goes, I went to Fort Benning. But come to find out, I think he had spent six years in the Army, probably airborne. And I said to him, you didn't see him? He goes, no, I had to get out because of my ex-wife. And I tell you, Phil, and Dave, that really broke my heart because he just looked like so depressed and so sad that he'd gotten out of the service. I think he would have given anything to get back into the service. And I've met so many individuals who got out, particularly because their wives were like, we we don't like you being in the military and they get out and they become very unhappy. And so I would tell anyone there who's in the service, stay at least your 20, 20 years. And then when you, when you're thinking about retiring, then I would say, you know, there's a window there that you really have to think about retirement. It's kind of a, a great, after 20 years, start looking, okay, when am I going to retire? Where's my last tour of duty going to be? And then you have to start preparing for retirement. And I always give people some advice about, okay, I'm going to retire, let's say, a year out. Well, first of all, retirement's not an event. It's a process. It's at least a year, if not two years out. So you start 
the most important thing is you start collecting your medical paperwork and you get it together. Um, really important. You could have served overseas. You could have lost your arm. You could have lost your leg. But if it's not in your medical paperwork, the VA is not going to help you. So it's really important a year out to make sure you've got your medical paperwork together. And then as you get closer to retirement, I'm talking about six months out, four months out, you find a great BSO, a veteran services officer. I did. Now, my veteran services officer was in Maine. I knew I was going to be moving to New Hampshire. I talked to all my military buddies and said, this is the best BSO in New England. So I flew up. Uh, to Maine, drove two hours. I saw him and I gave him my paperwork. And what was so great about it was that he was accessible. He was smart. He was not overwhelmed with other projects he had to do. And he was highly motivated. Unlike a lot of VSOs in Virginia who are overwhelmed because there's so many military people retiring, you've got to find a VSO who's going to walk you through the process who's accessible and motivated. And then the most other important thing after that is that you are persistent. This is a journey. I ran into a, a Navy SEAL not that long ago who never really messed with the VA at all. And I, I talked to him and now, you know, he got his paperwork and he got himself squared away. So the other thing I recommend you do is that you register at the local VA. You enroll in the VA, I guess is the word you use. Um, because that's so important. And then take the whole VA process really seriously. There's a, a leader I know very well that used to say, and he probably still does, that retiring, and I, I'm not saying it verbatim, but very much like, you know, World War II with the Rangers climbing Point to Hawk on D-Day. So, so they're climbing this cliff, maybe 200 feet tall, on ropes, we're climbing up, and the Germans are shooting at them, throwing rocks at them. And he said to me, you know, that's very much like retirement. It's very daunting. It, you've got to be persistent. So um, so these are the things I recommend. Again, make sure you've got medical work, paperwork squared away, that you find a great VSO, that you're persistent and you see it through. It's a journey. And that you work very closely with your, um, with your local VA. And I can talk in a few minutes a little bit also about post-military career and all of that. But is that what you're looking for? Oh, that that sounds great, and I, I think it's uh, you know important for our listeners too. We we know and appreciate there. There's great sacrifice in serving in the military, uh, but there's also uh, you know many. It's it's also very rewarding, and there's also uh, um, benefits to serving too. That. Uh, Many of our veterans don't don't take full advantage of, and and the uh, uh, sticking it out for for the twenty is uh, is very wise. My my father joined when he, when he was young and and uh, retired after twenty when he was around forty uh, years of age. So still have a lot of time for a career. There's um, you know I bought my first. Um, home with a uh, VA loan zero down uh, just outside of Fort Riley, Kansas in Junction City. And uh, and then they certainly making sure to uh, to get enrolled uh, with with your VA benefits and your medical benefits. Um, my my son was uh, born at Fort Riley right on on the base. And I, I remember paying that 
the, you know, the medical bills and it was, um, $92, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but I think all, all, uh, you know, uh, great points on, on when, uh, departing the, the military too, that you're, you're still making those connections with the, the VA and, and, uh, and your benefits for your career forward. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, and I was in a different situation also, because when I retired, we moved to New Hampshire and my wife started working full time with the uh, New Hampshire National Guard as a civil engineer. And so I had some time, I had about two years to kind of acclimate to being with, with both my boys. And um, it, it was still quite the transition. And then another interesting story. So um, I made a lot of contacts. I, I, I started looking around about what kind of organization would I want to work for. And I used to, and I listened to Jack Heath. He's a, a, a local radio personality here in New Hampshire. And he had a show and has a show uh, every morning. I listened to him and I remember him talking about supporting the military. And frankly, I'd never heard a reporter or um, someone who served in the media, worked in the media as motivated and as enduring and as consistent as him about supporting the military. So I threw my dress uniform on, went to the radio station, presented my point. I said, just on behalf of the men and women of the military, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. And this was like four or five years ago about that. And he put me on the radio right away. And through him, I, I was introduced to Veterans Count, and then eventually met Phil. And um, it was uh, it was a really great experience for me. And I got to hear this gentleman called Paul Ford on the radio. Paul Ford's the CEO of a great company called FedPoint. Now, we in the military, when you hear someone from HR talking, so what? But when you hear the CEO, i.e. the general of the organization himself or herself, talking, saying, we want to hire veterans, it got my attention. So I went to a job fair, uh, Jack Keith introduced me to, to Paul Ford, and I got to um, meet them, and the timing was just right. They uh, administer benefits for, uh, for military, like dental and vision, et cetera. And uh, and so at, the, at that time, retirees had only one kind of dental, one kind of vision. OPM was changing that to several different kinds of vision and, and uh, dental. As a retiree, you had a choice. So I got hired to basically reach out to organizations and let retirees know that. And I've been serving now at FedPoint for about four years. I served, as I said, I served there because I feel I'm really having an impact. And we've hired at least four, if not five veterans there. So FedPoint's a great company. Um, and Paul Ford had the opportunity of attending the War College uh, as a CEO, providing insights on corporate America. And I think Phil Tom's been invited to go there also. Um, so I, I work for a great company with a great CEO. Um, but I would say for those who are going to get out of the military and look for a post-military career, find somewhere you can serve so you're not just working. And then what I did was I looked, I had the time when I was in New Hampshire, I looked around, okay, what where would I feel I'm having an impact? So there are only two companies that I go to veterans events and they were there. One was Service Credit Union and the other was FedPoint. And then I think the only other person I would have really liked to serve with at that time was probably Governor Sununu. I just really felt, you know, he's leading 
the state in the right direction. So, uh, so I ended up serving at, at FedPoint, and I've enjoyed it, and it's it's you know having an impact. And through FedPoint, I've been able to meet a lot of people, and it's been great. Hon, thanks, thanks for sharing that. And uh, you know, um, you introduced me to Paul Ford. He's a great man, a great leader, great company. And uh, we have Jack Heath as a mutual friend, another, you know, really just doing a great job to help veterans. So thank you for mentioning the governor, of course, has been a great supporter uh, of veterans and, and of some of the mission and everything that's going on here. So, you know, thanks for bringing them up. I do want to take a moment here before Hunt, we continue with you just to thank our sponsors. And you mentioned one of them, Service Credit Union. And uh, Granite State Insurance, rock solid insurance protection for business. And uh, I'll mention Service Credit Union again, become an owner today. Uh, two great organizations uh, committed to veterans. So I want to I want to take us back now, though, Hunt. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about your wife Stephanie and uh, and her service now, right? And, and tell us what life is like now. You, you, you mentioned you've been retired for five years. Uh, you've got young men. You call them boys. They look like young men to me uh, that, that uh, you know, you and Stephanie have uh, Daniel and Jonathan. Uh, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what you learned from your service. And now that you're a, a retired veteran spouse, you know, sure. supporting Stephanie, that would be sure. great for us to hear. Well, I, I almost, first of all, uh, Thank you both. I want to go back to service credit. What a great outfit. I, I really, you know, I would go to events honoring veterans, whether it was a event at Pease or events somewhere else. Service credit Union was always there. Two companies that were always there, FedPoint and Service Credit Union, and the governor would show up and talk. And I always said to myself, if I, you know, if I could, if I start in the business world, if I start working, it's one of those outfits, maybe either the governor's working for FedPoint, but you know, I work very closely with service credit, which is great. And you know, I think the walls of the governor, is, as you said, is such a great supporter of the military. So um, if I had known now, um, having you know transitioned out, retired from the military, and then being with the boys full time, so Jonathan is 12 and Daniel's 10 now. Uh, it was tough. It was, you know, when I was a brigade commander, family support was very important to me. My chaplains were very important to me. Um, but I didn't really experience what it was like actually being a dad because my kids were so young then. So being a dad of two boys is really a full-time focused position um, of really of love and dedication. And uh, it, it was very challenging uh, because I'm used to, you know, when you say do something, the soldiers would do it. Um, that doesn't happen with my boys. It, it, it was a lot of uh, pushback and jumping and all and messing around and all that, which is, you know, the beauty of being a dad. But it's a whole world now because my wife's going to be deploying for at least six months. And so, you know, I don't want to be just an okay dad. I want to be the best. I want to handle the situation as really well as I can, that, that the boys are doing well, they're going to miss their mother, but this suddenly becomes real when a spouse deploys and she's in the guard, you know, she's excited about this opportunity to serve. I'm very excited for her to serve, but it's very daunting, to be honest. 
because there's a lot involved in trying to get boys up in the morning, get them to school, make dinner, you know, uh, do their homework, get their lunches ready, and all of this. And I don't. I'm I'm an army of one. I don't have. I wish I had like an army of ten, but it's just me. So that's going to be a, a really a great experience, but uh, one I'm preparing for. So, so the idea, you know, is that uh, the family, you know, I wish it was me deploying. My boys wish it was me deploying because I'm a lousy cook and I'm not great with their homework. <laughs> so they're like, Daddy, can you deploy and keep mom here? But, you know, at the end of the day, she's going to deploy and I get to stay home with the boys. Now, you know, I've deployed twice since we've been married. So I get to now see what that's like, you know, but the military is great. It's going to rally around me. Friends are, have been amazing. Um, but it's, you know, it's our opportunity to rally around my wife as she deploys to the Middle East to, to serve our nation. That's how she's explaining it to the boys. We're helping soldiers. We're helping airmen. We are helping. Um, we're, we're doing what our nation's called us to do. And I'm very impressed with how mature my 10 year old and uh, 12 year old handling. Like I was just at the gym the other day and, and I was chatting with a friend who's a pilot. He said, My wife left for the weekend and I fell apart. I'm like, My wife's leaving for six months, you know? So I, you know. <laughs> That's a, I think that's an amazing story that you've not only, uh, you know, served yourself in deployments and as a uh, military veteran and service member, but are also the uh, military spouse and yeah. experiencing what the, you know, what the family support uh, goes through. Well, you know, I've had an opportunity to spend some time, obviously, with Phil and his wonderful wife. And, and although Phil has not been in the military, Phil and his family get it. I, I, I really uh, believe they do. And I can almost see Phil's wife oh, deploying for six months and he can handle it. I mean, the kids would rally around. I think Phil and Dave, of course, both of you know really what I'm talking about. Because it's more than anything, it's not the logistic, it's an attitude. We're going to rally around my wife to support her as she deploys. My whole existence is going to be to support my boys, pray for my wife, make sure she feels connected, she's successful, and then she comes home, and then give her the time to to adapt. And the great thing is, is that, you know, there's so many resources out there, and it, it's, you know, so it, it's a different experience for me. It's a very humbling experience, but I think it's going to be great. So I'm, I think it's going to be... Excellent. I think, uh, Hunt, we're going to have to check in with you in a few months, right? During Stephanie's deployment uh, with you and the boys and see how it's going. Well, you won't have to do that, Phil, because you'll be hearing a knock on your door after about the second day that Stephanie's gone and I'm totally worn out. And I'll drop the boys off at your house and then come back about a month later. That would be great if you could drop off a whistle as well. And yeah, no, actually, they probably, uh, probably have too much fun at your house because you probably introduce them to all the seals and they end up maybe doing something drastic like joining the navy when it comes time for them to serve. So. Yeah, I, I could see both of them going to the naval academy. <laughs> so we'll work on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'll that'll take some convincing there after uh, you know seeing your uh, 
your sons uh, before our podcast yeah, <laughs> and their really. enthusiasm for no, Army. No, you're right. In fact, what we'll do, Dave and Phil, <laughs> I will make it available three months into Steph's deployment to call you guys and let you know how it's going. I'll give you a great perspective. No, that, that would be awesome. That really would be great. Now, uh, I know that Daniel, your youngest, has been uh, working on the bagpipes. Is there any chance we could get a little bit of that and hear how he's doing? Yeah, if you give me one sec, I'll see if I can get it. Oop, that sounds okay. great. Okay, so he's going to grab his his chanter and play the Army song for us. And let's see if he can. Again, he's uh, soon to be 10. It's his birthday on Sunday. And he's grabbing it now. So, Danny, are you there? Okay, come over here. And I'm, I'm going to take my headphones off. So, are you able to hear us? Yeah. Yes. This is definitely a first on our podcast. <laughs> okay, well, well, what Daniel's doing is putting his reed into his chanter. Now, this is not the full bagpipe. This is just the chanter part. It's like a little food. It's like playing hockey. You have to learn to skate, and then you have to uh, play, like know how to play. Okay, so, so Danny, you're going to play the army song. <laughs> okay, that's kind of cool. You're going to play yeah. the army song and then Amazing Grace. Do you want to hear two songs? That sounds great to okay, me. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, that would that would sound great in at Newfound Lake, Phil. I think it will, Dave. I was picturing you marching around your your room there to the to the army song. <laughs> so, so you can do a quick amazing grace if you'd like to hear that. military family there well thank you i really appreciate that <laughs> our, our first ever musical performance on our podcast well great <laughs> well hunt we, we're going to wish you the best of luck uh during stephanie's deployment 
You know, we know that you young men are going to be in good hands there. You know, you're going to let us know if you need anything from us. We're obviously all here to pitch in and help. And, and uh, we do want you to check in with us, but really it's been an honor and a privilege to have you on here and share some really uh, important insights uh, that I think a lot of listeners are going to benefit from. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And I just wanted to say one other thing really quickly. I didn't get into this, but, you know, we started this organization called the New Hampshire Military Coaching Alliance, or affectionately known as Operation Sea Daddy. Um, actually told me by someone in the Coast Guard, a Sea Daddy is basically a mentor that you're assigned to you are on a ship. So I realized about three years ago that a lot of warriors were moving into New Hampshire, whether it was a Navy SEAL or a colonel, a one-star or a sergeant, and they needed mentors, someone that had never been to New Hampshire before. So with Bill, with your help, and I appreciate it, and Jack Heath and Paul Ford and others, we, we started this organization that aligns uh, warriors as they transition into New Hampshire, whether you serve four years in the military or 30 years in the military, and we, we align them with mentors. And the mentors help them through the whole HR process, finding jobs, getting connected. Uh, and that has been a huge, uh, wonderful success. In fact, the most recent one was a sergeant who moved into New Hampshire, her Husband's a former Marine. She speaks fluent Russian. Uh, she served five years in the Army, and we, we paired her with a great individual who leads a great company here in New Hampshire. And he hired her as the chief of staff. And he's oh serving, God. yeah, he's serving currently in the uh, Navy Reserves. So that is our way, my way of still impacting soldiers and warriors. And Phil's been a critical part of that. And I appreciate, Phil, what you do. And David, I appreciate your service and the impact you're having. So it's been a great honor to be a part of this. And thank you. I, I really appreciate yeah. it. How, how, would, how would folks find out about this organization? Uh, the website? Uh... Yeah, we, we actually don't. Um, you know, first of all, there's no money involved in this. It's just uh, if anyone's interested, they can just send me. Um, a note at hunt, H-U-N-T dot Kerrigan, K-E-R-R-I-G-A-N at Comcast.net. Um, we don't have a website. It's all done through through word of mouth. It's primarily people moving into New Hampshire who need a mentor, um, who are looking for a post-military career. And then we align them with mentors, with CEOs, with leaders, uh, and we help them out. And then they then in turn serve as mentors. And uh, again, it's it's the best way of doing it. It's simply word of mouth, and um, it, it's been it, it's been uh, a success, and we're very pleased with it. And again, I wanted to thank Phil because he was one of the first guys I called about this, and this was I think now almost four years ago, Phil. So so thank you. My pleasure. It's great. It's great to be involved in that hunt. So thanks for including me. <laughs> Now, so great, great having you on our, our podcast. I think that could be a whole other podcast topic. Yeah, absolutely. So, All right. Thank you, Hunt. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Sean, have a good night. You too. And thanks for joining us on, on the Homeland Heroes podcast. This podcast is a co-production brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. And Dairy Cam, 
who believes a better world starts with a connected community. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org and dairycam.org. Follow the Homeland Heroes Salute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Heroes Salute wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. Views expressed in this podcast do not represent any of the uniformed services, the Homeland Harris Foundation, Dairy Cam, Swim with a Mission, Harbor Care, Veterans First, or any other organization.